Hey guys, before we start the show, I wanted to take a second and tell you about an amazing opportunity called SocialX. SocialX is a community of entrepreneurs working together to make a positive impact on the world. They teach entrepreneurs how to grow from zero to six figures. Their weekly mastermind calls feature top business experts and entrepreneurs from various industries. They offer online courses as well as various events all over the country. If you're interested, DM Justin Caballero on Instagram at JCAB. Welcome to the Venture Mentality Podcast. We're bringing you the insights and interviews from top entrepreneurs and high performers on how to reach your goals and overcome your challenges. Hosted by 18-year-old high school student and entrepreneur, Jacob O'Connor. Now, let's get right into the show. What's up, guys? You're listening to the Venture Mentality Podcast, and I'm your host, Jacob O'Connor. Today, joining us, we have the former Wall Street broker, mixed martial arts fighter, and founder of Smash Global, Steve Orozco. What's up, Steve? What's up, man? How are you today? I'm terrific. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. I'm uh, just in my car having a conversation with you. I feel like you just gave me the intro already. <laughs> yeah, but, know, um, I like to give a brief little introduction, but if you could kind of yeah. take us a little bit deeper yeah, than of course. just where you've been and what you've done and what you're doing now. Of course, of course. Yeah, so I always say, you know, I'm a small town kid from New England. You know, I had a great childhood. My life was really all about wrestling. It's pretty much what made me today. Um, I always say, oh, everything to the sport of wrestling. Um, I spent about six years in New York. I worked on Wall Street. I went to Pace University where I majored in finance, which is what led me to Wall Street. And then I relocated to Connecticut. And when I was there, recorded by, rec recruited by a firm, Barnum Financial. Um, I ended up in Connecticut. Um, while I was there, I got my MBA and MS, and I ended up just hating the boiler room. So I left it. I actually turned pro as a fighter and moved to San Diego. Um, went eight and one as a pro. And then um, when I retired, I started my company, Smash Global. Wow, that's a pretty crazy story from uh, being on Wall Street and then going pro for mixed martial arts. Yes. I, uh, again, you know, wrestling was my, was my everything. And MMA was just the sport that is pretty much the, the evolution of wrestling, you know? So even when I was working on wall street or working for Barnum financial, I was still doing jujitsu. So I was still on the mat every other day. That's like where my passion was. I hated corporate America, you know, but I'm 38. So I grew up in an era where you were supposed to go to college for four years and you got to go work for corporate America and get benefits and retirement and all that. And uh, it wasn't until was it 2009 that I completely changed that whole mindset and, and left corporate America to pursue my dream. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way that there's this certain path they have to follow and they kind of feel the pressure to do that. So I just think it's great that, um, that you were able to get out of that and kind of pursue your passion. Like you said. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. A lot of it, I, you know, like my mom, for example, she, uh, you know, my parents got divorced when I was 12. So she had to go back to work. She went back to school and she ended up following her passion. She wanted to be a PA. So you figure out, you know, 40 something years old at the time, she had a two year, my sister, two year old daughter. She got into Yale um, and, and became a PA. Now she's living in San Diego and she followed her dream as well. She was forced to follow her dream, right? Cause that's what happens with a lot of people. They're in corporate America. They get that pink slip and then they're forced to do something else. And they think outside the box on the, along the lines of, wow, I was really just, 
a number. They just got rid of me like I didn't care. So then people end up becoming motivated to do their own thing. Exactly. Sometimes you have to burn the bridges and be left with next to no options to really find what it is you want to do. I agree. I agree. And it's hard. I mean, it's hard to make money on your passion, right? I mean, everyone has passion about something, but how do you monetize it? And knowing that whatever your passion is, you're probably not going to make any money off of it for a while. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough. But no different than going to college for four years and not making a single dollar and studying your ass off in the hopes you're going to get a job in corporate America making $40,000 a year, you know? Mm-hmm. So you, you touched on um, a lot of people find their passion, but there's a lot of people that struggle to find it and you've clearly found yours. So do you have any advice for how someone who's kind of stuck and doesn't know exactly what it is they want to do, how they can kind of find it? You know, that's the one thing that I always say is very difficult because I truly, like from the bottom of my heart, like I'm getting goosebumps right now, just about to say this, I truly feel that every single person on this planet is a genius at something, at something, but the, there's a very, very rare few that find what that is. Like what if Michael Jordan never picked up a basketball? You know what I mean? But most people don't know what it is. You could, pro- you could pick up a racquetball and play, play racquetball and be a, a prodigy, but you'll never know that. So really the only answer is, you just have to explore everything that interests you. You just have to go and try it until it just, you just, it just feeds your soul and you just want more of it. Everyone has it. I completely agree. And I never thought about it like that. The fact that um, I've never thought about how a person could not try something, but in reality, they could have been like world-class at it. That's just kind of a crazy thought to me that, you know, you like could have never gotten to mixed martial arts and you could have gone your entire life going one direction, but you were supposed to go the other direction. Facts. I agree with that. So I was hoping you could kind of touch on your uh, new company, Smash Global a little bit and what you guys are doing, what exactly it is. Yeah. So I can backtrack a little bit um, of how it came about. So when I was fighting, um, you know, I went eight, you know, as a pro, I went to Australia. I fought their number one kid and I lost. I just, you know, it was just a bad night. It is what it is. And I remember being in my hotel room and I'm depressed and uh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my life anymore. And uh, everyone else on my team, they went out and they partied. And I just remember saying to myself, okay, I love this sport. I'm not going to fight anymore, but what can I do to make my sport better and stay in it? And uh, there's really only two options. It was either opening up my own gym and having my own fight team um, to train or, you know, be, be a Dana White, have my own MMA organization. So I went with the promoter size cause it's the business side. And, uh, the one thing about my sport that I thought was lacking was the crowd hasn't evolved at the same level that the sport has. And it's not any disrespect to any fans. It was just built on a grassroots backyard fighting field where there was no rules and no weight classes. It was really like human cockfighting when it started. So the crowd was very aggressive, like bleed, 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 tapped out t-shirts, Bud Lights, very NASCAR-esque, like I said. But boxing, because it started with people who had money in the first place, the very distinguished gentleman sport. So when you go to major boxing events, you have women, the wives in a fur coat and the men in a tux or a suit. And it's a, it's a social thing just on top of the fights. So I said, how can I get that crowd, which I consider the Formula One crowd, not the NASCAR crowd, to come watch MMA live? 
and uh, I came up with the just a black tie feel. So when you walk into my ballroom, you have 30 tables of 10. It's black tie and gown. Ticket price point is very VIP, you know, $1,000 a ticket. Um, I honor celebrities during the night. So like the last one, I honored four celebrities in one evening. It was Mickey Rourke, Dolph Lundgren, Shane Mosley, and Lou Ferrigno. We raised money for anti-bullying. Um, so she hits home no matter what. There's so many different um, facets to that. And then there's five pro fights in the in the center of everything. So I put a cage in the center of the ballroom, and uh, I'm fully licensed by the athletic commission in the same way the UFC is. Yeah, that really fascinated me when I was looking into Smash Global and what it's about. Just not only the fact that you found a hole in the market with this, with um, kind of changing the audience of the of mixed martial arts, but at the same time you're also giving back a lot. Like I saw that um, you donate to a lot of various charities and different causes. Correct. Yeah, I think, I think it's really important, especially with that demographic. A lot of them want to be able to help. And when you're really successful, and I don't say this as an excuse, you generally don't have time. If you're working 67 hours a week, it's not easy to go and give a few hours to a soup kitchen or go visit an orphanage two hours away. But you do have money. So you can help and make some sort of impact. So, you know, so I raise money, I do the live auction, I do the silent auction, we do the envelopes. And, and the most important thing, aside from the money, is just giving an awareness to those charities that would never have the access to those people and those celebrities to uh, pretty much endorse their charities. That's why you'll see, I don't use the bigger ones. Like you don't see me using, I don't know, Goodwill. I feel like they are Salvation Army. Like they don't even need it. And only a few percent, like 5% actually goes back to where it needs to go because administrative costs are so high. So I picked the smaller ones that have no voice yet, that are looking for help and, you know, a, a boost for their nonprofit. I think it's great that you do that. And I think if we could get more people to do this, I think we would see a lot of things change in society. I 100% I agree with you. Uh, so I, I was looking... I was looking at your company and one of the things that struck me was that you said that you believe that networking is the most important driver for um, creating business opportunities. Could you kind of talk on yes. this? Because a lot of my audience are people that may be trying to start businesses or have young businesses. And so this could be something yeah. key to them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm big on you got to build before you sell. So you could build a community before you try, before you sell it to a community like back in the day it wasn't like that it was i meet you i find person a and i try to sell them it doesn't work like that anymore right now everything is relationship driven people aren't just buying your product they're buying you so you have to network with the right audience and people who trust you it's really important so for me being in the wealthier demographic i always say networking is really important when it comes to my ticket sales so for example if it's a i have a thousand dollars a ticket correct so if you walk into a ballroom and everyone in that ballroom has spent $1,000 on a ticket, you know everyone in that ballroom is a, credible, is, a, is a credible business opportunity in your demographic. Because $1,000 is a lot is per ticket. So you come to my show, you spend $1,000 on a ticket, you have 200, 250 other people also spent that money. You know they are pretty much all you know, successful, for example. So if you go there and you don't get your thousand dollars back in just relationships from networking, you totally failed that evening. It's not just go with party, have fun. 
you got to go and network. And a thousand dollars is nothing um, to to build a circle um, of people in that demographic. It's almost like the I said this to somebody yesterday, the Lamborghini approach. Like me, like when I was younger, right? I would love to buy a Lamborghini when I'm 22 because I want to get girls. And I want to drive 120 miles an hour. But now if I bought a Lamborghini, it would be for networking purposes. You're spending $3,000 a month to lease, say, a new Huracan. So you're spending almost 40 grand a year. But now you are in an exclusive circle of other Lamborghini owners that you can go on car rallies with, um, cars and coffee with, um, all these Lamborghini forums. So you're, you will more than make your $40,000 back just because you bought that Lamborghini and you're in that circle. So you have to find the circles you really want to be in and then figure out how to network your way within them. And a lot of it is really pay to play. That's really unique. I had not even your, your business model. I didn't think about it as being two sided with both entertainment and networking. That's a really unique approach. It's almost like a mastermind. And then you have the, the MMA going along with it. Yes, exactly. And when people, it's funny because the people who come to the show, you know, they can't even name three UFC champions for the most part because they're not MMA fans, but they want to come and experience what it's like to see fighting like this. So when they come see it for the first time, they are so captivated and enthralled that the level of conversations that come about during that night and from the adrenaline are second to none, second to none. Wow, that, that's, that's absolutely crazy. I love that you're doing that. Um, and I wanted, I wanted to backtrack now to a little bit. Um, I wanted to segue yeah. to a little bit of a different topic. You, you touched on how whenever you lost that first fight, you were like really depressed yeah. and you were very sad and stuff. So I know that you yeah. being a businessman and with you being a mixed martial arts fighter, like how do you handle stress? Like what are some actionable things that you can give to this audience? Man, for me, all my relieving of stress comes from the gym. Um, and again, I backtrack with the whole wrestling thing. You know, when you wrestle, you lose. You, everybody loses. It's impossible to always win. So you get used to losing and then having to go back the next day and train and then wrestle again, you know, two days later. So it's, you're wired to always having to overcome. But I always tell people, you know, just your everyday person, the gym is everything. Fitness is everything. Get those endorphins going. Every day you're accountable. Um, it just gives you an overall, um, what's the word, overall feeling of well-being, you know, all the time. I, I agree with that. And I think that um, it's important to have an outlet to, re to relieve your stress. Outlet. Some people might be like, journaling or something but for a lot of people it's the gym you just need to do something where you can physically get it out of you yes yeah i i have to because because you'll dwell people dwell too much on on the l's you know when they lose it's okay to dwell for like a day because that's really just you know you're, you're taking it in you're digesting the loss and how you can overcome it and how you could have done it better that's fine but you can't do that you can't dwell on the same thing for weeks on end because then you're just you're just losing valuable time and energy. You know, you just have to say, okay, I lost. What can I do better? And then just take the next step. Exactly. And I think that's the mentality that you need to have. You need to look at failure, not as something negative, but as a building block, something that you can learn from because chances are that if you fail hard on something, you're not going to make that same mistake again. 
and you can learn the most from yep. your failures. I agree. And that's why I tell every parent, parents are always asking, Hey Steve, what should I do? What martial arts should I put my kid in? You know, he's only six or seven. I always say, listen, I don't care what you put him in. I think every child needs to play sports like all year round because that's what builds character, how to win, how to lose, how to be humble. Um, every, you can't get that in the classroom, you know? So I don't care if it's soccer. I don't care if it's football or Taekwondo or wrestling. It's like literally the most important thing for a child or for a human being for the future of their life. That's what I've been seeing. And I've interviewed a lot of high profile entrepreneurs on the show. And the one thing that I've noticed between all of them is they know how to fail. And I think a lot of the younger society today doesn't know how to fail. They just take it and they just get so um, upset and hurt about it. that Everyone feels like they need a participation trophy. When in reality, if they never got that participation trophy, they could have learned 10 times more from just analyzing that failure. Yeah, I still don't. You know, this participation trophy bullshit that frustrates me is the people that are wanting these participation trophies are parents who never played sports in the first place. That's the, that's like the first problem with that. So these are parents who never even played sports. Like, Oh my God, my, now my kid's playing a sport and whether he, if he loses, he still has to get a participation trophy, but you're not teaching your kid anything. You're teaching your kid that no matter what he does, he's, you're going to be proud of him. That's, that's not okay. That's not okay. When you go to school, you don't get part. When you go to college, you're not getting participation grades, but you're getting graded on how well you compete at something. And if you don't do well, it's your job to do a better job the next time. So I, it frustrates me. Like my son had, had uh, played t-ball this last year, and they gave out participation trophies at the end of the season. And I was like, he's not going. I, I, I let him go. I really, truly feel that was – it's not good – um, precedent to set for your kids like I think they have to earn it I don't care how old they are you know like I'm not the parent who you know the kid comes my son comes home and I don't know he gets let's say he gets sixth place in something I'm like hey yeah good job but you can do better next time I would never say oh my god I'm so proud of you you're the best because you're just lying to your kid you know it's just like a, a false sense of security and that's a big failure that our country's going through right now Exactly. I, I think that it's important to encourage your kid and to stay positive with them. But at the same time, you need to also give them a sense of reality because as soon as they step into the real world and they get hit with something and there is no participation trophy in whatever they're doing, they're not going to know how to handle it. Agreed. 100% correct. What, what has the role of persistence played in your career? Persistence. Oh man, persistence is everything. You just can't, you can never stop. As soon as you stop, you die. I'm, I'm a big uh, closed mouths don't get fed kind of person. Um, but I will say, you know, my one flaw is I, have, I also have a hard time asking people for favors at the same time. I know it sounds kind of uh, hypocritical, but you always have to open your mouth and ask. You'll never regret it. You only regret not asking in the first place when you walk away. That was the first thing I learned when I moved to LA. I had this woman, Jackie Cowan, who came on before my third show. I had my first two shows in San Diego. And then for my third show, she just said, hey, you should go to Los Angeles next because that's where all the celebrities are and you can honor celebrities and create all this, all this uh, exposure. And she said, so I spent like a couple of weeks with her and we we're going around all these places and she's making me take pictures with fucking everybody. 
she's like, remember this. Anytime you see a celebrity, put your pride aside. Go ask for a picture because people looking at that picture assume that you're friends with that person and, you're, and it's association. It doesn't matter. So anytime I see a celebrity, I go and I ask for a picture. I don't even care anymore. You know, and half the time it just turns into a conversation anyway. But again, it's the, the closed mouths don't get fed and you have to be persistent. Exactly. It's all about establishing credibility too. And one of the, one of the things that I've learned um, with doing this podcast is that you can't be afraid to ask. Like I would have zero interviews right now if I was scared to ask someone to come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of people love doing podcasts. Like for me, just like you doing these, it's just amazing practice for me just to have these conversations with somebody, especially if I don't even know you in the first place. And I'm like talking to a stranger about my business and my life. So guess what? If five years from now, I'm some superstar, I don't want my first podcast interview with Oprah, right? And, and have no experience in the first place, you know, but everybody wants to skip to the last chapter. And they don't want to go through like chapter one and two and three, which is what, you know, I feel like I'm on now. 100%. Um, I wanted to go back to Smash Globe a little bit. And I, I, wanted, I was wondering if you could tell us, where are you hoping to take the company? How are you hoping to expand it? Yeah, so my plan is I would like to, I do about three shows a year. So for 2020, I want to do one show a month, all in LA, to really just go be like the king of LA in sports and entertainment and have so much celebrity attachment and so much media exposure that it'll blow up outside of LA, which is what it's done. Then 2021, it would be expanded to other major cities like Miami, New York, Boston, um, Dallas, San Francisco, and Vegas, for example. And then the following year is when you start that whole global process where you go to, you know, Dubai or Macau during Formula One, you know, where all the, the, the big, big players are at, who, again, all love fighting. That sounds like a great plan. Where did the name Smash Global come from? Oh man, my nickname from fighting. Um, when I started training in jiu-jitsu as a wrestler, you're usually really good on top position because you have strong hips. And jiu-jitsu guys are better on their back. So I would always end up in people's guard and on top of them. And people would always say, Steve's always Hulk smashing, smash, smash. So my fighting name was always Hulk smash. And then when I started my business, I also took off the Hulk and then just kept the smash. So smash global. It was either going to be Smash Global or um, Smash International, and I went with Global just because of the, the logo that I, the, all the logo options I thought you could have with the Globe. I, I like that. It, you know, worked yeah, out. I, yeah. I, I think it's great whenever someone has a story behind their name. It's not just a name. It means something to them. Ah, yeah. Cool. Thank you. Uh, before I forget, where can someone find you online yeah. if they want to reach out and learn more about you? Yeah, so I have my website, which is uh, smashglobal.com. And then obviously I have my, my Smash Global Instagram page, as well as my personal, which is Steve Orozco, or you can search uh, Mr. Smash as well. And I'll link those in the description for anyone that wants to um, check you out. I've got one last question before we go, but first a little bit of background on mm -hmm. it. So when you died, the only thing that matters is the difference that you made and the impact that you had. So with that being said, what do you want your difference to have been? What impact do you want to have made? Oh, man, I just want to have inspired as many people as I possibly can. Like the same way I was inspired. Like, for example, 
you know, I, I give a lot of my time to kids wrestling programs and teaching wrestling the same way I had coached so many coaches and, and trainers that gave me their time for free. And I feel like you have to reciprocate the same thing to the next generation or you failed as a person. So if you had mentors at some point in your life, it's important that you also become a mentor when you're ready as well, because then the, the buck stops there. It's almost like if you're a father and you have all girls and then you never have a son and then your name dies right there. That's the same thing that happens in the real world. If you don't give back when some people gave to you, you have to keep on giving back every generation. 